Good morning again. Um, we are walking through a series called Broke. Uh, it's a Lenten series that focuses on our limitations. Broke can mean a few different things. Broke can mean having nothing left, um, as in I am broke. Uh, it can mean dysfunction. It can mean not whole and something that has been broken. Uh, all of these things describe us in our sin. Um, we are dysfunctional. We don't function the way that we were designed to. We are not whole in our being. Um, and we, we have nothing that we in ourselves, in our own strength, can, can offer God. We're broke. So I, I don't want you to hear like we're in bad shape and we just need a little, a little boost from Jesus, a little pick-me-up. I'm talking about every fiber of our being at our basis level, our very nature is broken. And that's exactly what Christ became for us when he took on flesh. He took on our sin. He took on our limited nature. So we are not left alone in him, but by ourselves, even our very instincts would destroy us. Our our quote-unquote natural instincts would destroy us. So, as always, we can thank Peter for illustrating what not to do and how not to be. So we'll look at him um, and get a little running start to our reading. So here's what's going on when Jesus speaks these words to his disciples. Here's what, here's what happens right before that. Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Peter's going on instinct. He's going for survival, right? You're the promised one of God. You are here to restore Israel. I know this to be true. Now, I also know that you don't win by dying. You don't win by losing. That's against instinct, all right? And not only that, you're not just taking yourself down. I'm with you. These guys are with you, right? You don't have to do that because I don't want to do that. Peter is working on preservation. He's working on instinct. He says, I don't, I don't want to go there. I'd rather not go to the cross. I'll take the long way around. I'll take the shortcut. I'll avoid it altogether. But I don't need to go there. There is no life there. And lest we be too critical of Peter, hopefully, you know, we can see ourselves in this pretty clearly, right? I don't want, this is not a natural inclination to give ourselves totally and completely for the sake of someone else if it means our death. It makes sense that we are naturally broken, broken in our nature, because everything in nature is broken. That's exactly what happened in the fall. Everything in nature got broken, right? So the way the world worked was that Adam would coax fruit forth from it. That's what he was put in the garden to do, to take care of the garden. He would, he would coax fruit from it. He would make life thrive. He would walk with his God. And as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, all of a sudden his work doesn't produce wheat. It produces thorns and thistles. And all of a sudden, it's not a joy. He does it by the sweat of his brow. And all of a sudden, he's not walking with God in the garden, but cast out of the garden that he was put to care for and to keep. So nature is 
broken. The whole order of things got messed up by sin. If we want to talk what is actually natural, as in the way it was made to be, our place is behind Jesus. That's the natural order of things. Our place is behind Jesus. And our instincts that have been broken by the fall would take us anywhere else. I love when I see something naturally occurring biologically or chemically in nature that actually points to an eternal truth of God. So (laughs) God actually uses our broken creation to communicate a broken reality about us in a gracious reality about him. Um, There's something called uh, Toxoplasma Gandhi. (coughs) This is a parasite occurring in nature that would transform an animal's Um, or it's a type of parasite, there are more than ones, but this is one specific type that would transform an animal's natural inclination and override its instincts so that it is no longer seeking life. It's no longer trying to survive, but it actually walks into death. So uh, here's what uh, BBC Earth communicates about this. It says, There are certain parasites that infect the minds of their hosts, causing mind-altering behaviors that help the parasites thrive. The host often dies in the process. For example, the parasite Toxoplasma gondii infects mice and switches off their innate fear of cats. If the cat eats the mouse, the parasite reproduces. This is sin. Sin is a parasite that infects our mind, it infects our behaviors, so that our natural inclinations to survive would be overridden. And in fact... It's not we who thrive, it's sin and death that thrives through us at our expense. This is a parasite, okay? So instead of inviting us to thrive, it leads us to our death, which leads us to the question, if this is all of our reality, this parasite that would seek to destroy us, sin, right? If this is our reality, then how are we expected to follow Jesus? How are we expected to just, oh yeah, I'll go ahead and, Put all that aside and step in right behind Jesus. How can we possibly do that if our mind and our behavior has been overridden? If our nature has been broken, in other words. Well, Jesus is nothing if not practical in our passage. He gives us step-by-step instructions, right? How do we step in place behind him? How do we take our natural place behind Jesus? And he gives us step-by-step instructions. First, he says, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, this the kind of half-hearted Lenten denial, like Lent is often characterized by fasting, right? So um, I'm going to give up chocolate for 40 days. You say, you know, Hershey's, get behind me, Satan. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm denying you, right? I'm not talking about that kind of denial and fasting. Um, what is Jesus actually asking us to deny here? What is he asking of us when he says, deny yourself? You go to Mark 14, he talks more about denial. Here's what he says in Mark 14. They're in the upper room. He's about to go to his death. Jesus says to his his disciples, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me. Three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. 
Okay. So this is Mark's um, explanation of denial. What does it mean? And sure enough, Peter would go on to deny him. So track the, track the progress here. In, in chapter 8, Jesus says, here's my mission. I must suffer and die at the hands of these men professing to be the leaders of Israel. I'll be raised on the third day. Jesus says, stop talking like that. That's ridiculous. He rebukes Jesus, right? And he clearly doesn't get it. Jesus rebukes him back and says, no, you get behind me. Take your rightful place behind me. But it's clear that Peter still doesn't understand because the very next chapter, he's going to the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is being empowered and emboldened by Elijah and Moses on his trip to the cross. He's being strengthened and encouraged by them. And Peter has no idea what's going on. And Mark makes a special note to say, Peter didn't know what was happening here. So by the time chapter 14 rolls around, Jesus is saying, you are not ready. I've told you exactly what's going to happen and you still don't get it. So you can expect to deny me. I'm about to go to the cross. You're about to go there with me. You will not be able to stand up to this because you have not heard me. This is the progression that's unfolding in in Mark. And sure enough, Peter denied who Jesus was. He even denied knowing Jesus. He denied his new life in Christ. He denied Jesus' power. He denied Jesus' mission. He denied Jesus' relationship and his love for the world. Jesus sees all of this about to happen. So in Mark chapter 8, he's telling Peter, don't deny me. I'm not the one with the problem. If you want to follow me, don't deny me. Deny yourself. Now here's the trouble. By all counts, it is impossible. How are you supposed to strengthen yourself, take up the power to deny yourself, to deny your nature by the very power that is broken in your nature? How are you supposed to deny your nature by the power of a broken nature? It's impossible. That's the whole point. He's saying deny yourself, but he's just acknowledged you're messed up. You can't follow me. You don't know what's going on. Deny yourself. How do we deny our nature by the power of that very nature? We can't. He has to do it. He has to change our nature. Not just our denial. He has to change our nature, which is what Paul describes, right? We participate with Christ. We are one with Christ. We are clothed with Christ. He changes our nature, not the way we deny or follow. He changes who we are. And we say, well, doesn't that kill free will? If I can't do it, if I can't follow Jesus, how does Jesus expect me to obey him, to follow him? Doesn't that kill free will? So yes, it absolutely does. And that's kind of the point. There is no evidence that would logically make us conclude, oh yeah, God took on flesh, died and rose. That makes perfect sense. There is nothing natural about um, victory through suffering, right? In Romans 11, it says we can rejoice in our sufferings. There's nothing logical about that, right? So there is no evidence that we would say, oh yeah, I'll follow Jesus, no problem. I make that choice. Because the nature that makes choices is busted. It's broke, it's done, right? We're done. 
So what do we need? God to change our nature. And if you say, well, I'm still not ready to give up free nature, that, like my power to do this. Never in scripture, never in scripture does it talk about us having the power to follow Jesus. In fact, multiple times it says we have two masters. Jesus says you can't follow God and money. Paul says you can't follow sin and righteousness, right? There's this dichotomy of masters, bad and good, right and wrong, evil and holy, but never, ever, ever does God leave it in our hands to be our own masters. That's part of brokenness, right? We are subject to the elements. We are subject to God. The question is, who are you refusing? And by whose power? Which brings us to our second step, right? Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross. So if we have this new master, this is our first instruction under a new regime. Take up your cross, right? Not take up your victory, take up your future, take up your hopes and dreams, take up your cross. Our instincts are for survival, and this would appear to be the exact opposite. Voluntarily follow Jesus to the cross. Now, if God is a God of life and not of death, how could he command us to go to our death? There's only one way that this act, Christ going to the cross, us following him, there's only one way that this can be an act of life. And that is if it is life-giving. There's only one way that the cross, the most, one of the most horrific, torturous instruments in all of history, can be life-giving. And that is if it has been claimed, repurposed, repowered by life itself. What does Christ say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? So this act of his, this trip, is not... There is greater purpose in the suffering. Christ has repurposed it, not for death, but for life. So the fate is the same as his. It is the end of us, but it is the beginning of a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the words of God. Okay, so we have denying ourselves. We deny yourself, take up your cross, and lastly, follow Jesus. Follow, okay? What Jesus is saying here, if anyone would be behind me, he has to follow me. Keep in step, track with, stay connected. Don't lose him, okay? Um, the, the Manitaka... American Indian Council has, tr- has tips still for tracking animals, hunting, um, in wilderness, things to look for, like tracks, even the gait of the animal. So like the, you can tell whether it's walking or running based on how far apart the tracks are. You look for broken twigs, branches, um, tree rubbings, all of this stuff uh, to, to catch up. The goal is to catch up. And following Jesus, I think, can feel like that sometimes. Like, we're just trying to catch up. God, I can't see you. Where are you? Give me a sign. You know, leave me some breadcrumbs. Give me something so I can tell where you're going. And if we're following Jesus in our own strength, looking for something that we need to know, that we want to know for ourselves, then it can certainly feel that way. We are too far from you. I can't see you. Well, that's because you're not looking for me. Because his promise is, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never be out of distance from you. 
If we're looking for him and, are, and feel too far from him, it's because we are looking in the wrong place and we have stepped out of walk with him. Because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am always right here. The invitation was, follow me. It's not catch up to me. Catch me if you can. I will never leave you or forsake you. Walk with me. This is a constant, accessible invitation right here. How, how far are you, God? How far are you? This far. This far. we walk with Jesus, speak, think, act like Jesus. We have been repurposed by Jesus. Our instincts now belong to Jesus. It is him in us. So what's left of us? A picture of Jesus. A picture of Jesus. And the question then becomes, well, wait a minute. If I'm, you've, you know, killed free will, I'm just a picture of Jesus. Where do I even play in here? Aren't I special to God? Aren't I unique? Didn't he create me because he loved me? I'd say, yes, absolutely. Every, you know, especially, especially in our culture, we want to think of ourselves as, as you know, the snowflake and just look at how beautiful we are versus somebody else. And God says, stop looking at the snowflake. Look at the snow bank, right? Look at all of it. Stop focusing on the one, the, 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 the only, the, the, the little piece. Look at the whole, look at everything that I'm doing. Look at everything that I've built, everything that I am. So we can say, wow, you know, the, the, the beauty in a single fingerprint, the inner workings of, of just one part, one cell of the human body. And God says, the beauty is not in the cell. The beauty is not in the member. You are one member of the body. So yes, you are beautiful to God. You are unique. You are an incredible creation in this world. And that is beautiful in and of itself, but we are never in and of ourselves. We're always connected with the body. The true beauty is in Christ himself. We are a facet of his greater whole, his body, so that he becomes our leader, our existence, our instincts, he becomes all in all. And we are in Christ alone. Would you please um, rise and 